afternoon, everybody. How are we doing today? It is so good to be with you today. Uh, Sherry and I have missed you uh, the last couple of weeks, and so I just want to tell you I didn't just disappear. Uh, three weeks ago today, my father passed away, and so we were taking care of that and just taking a moment to kind of breathe and process a little bit of that. So uh, we weren't just playing hooky from church, but uh, we were dealing with that as a family. And so uh, I told my brother, Dennis, who is the founding pastor of Victory, I said, well, now you're the old man of the family. That's what he did. He laughed, but uh, he is now. So anyway, well, hey, we're going to do something very special today um, that, we, that is very important for us as a church. Uh, Pastor Chad was just up here doing the announcements a few months ago. You started seeing him on our platform. He and his wife, uh, Pastor Lori, have always attended uh, this campus, uh, and, and Chad was on staff for over five years uh, serving in our art department. So all these beautiful things you see around here were oftentimes things that his hands and fingerprints were on. Uh, but we began to sense, uh, really, about this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier, uh, that God had a call on their life for pastoring. And um, we sensed that. They were feeling that. And uh, so now, Pastor Chad and, uh, Pastors Chad and Lori serve here at this campus. Uh, Lori was, had been serving in our children's ministry, and now they are our fusion pastors over our young adult ministry. As well as Pastor Chad oversees all of our adult ministries. So all the things that flow in our adult ministries kind of flow up to him. And so he's doing a fantastic job. Lori's doing a fantastic job. And we are grateful for them at this campus. But one of the things that uh, all of a sudden you just started seeing him on stage. And uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of like his hat. Y'all like his hat? I love his hat. I wish I could wear that hat. Uh, he tells me I can, but I don't know about that yet. So, uh, but anyway... Uh, I didn't want him to just start appearing, but there's something that's really important. When somebody steps into not just a position or a job, but they step into something that God has called them to. We don't, we don't make the calling. God makes the calling. We disagree with the calling. And so we have agreed with what we have seen with uh, what God was speaking to Chad and Lori and what we've seen in their life. We agree that the pastoral gift and calling is upon their life. So I'm going to invite them up. And uh, one of the things that's important for us to do is to pray over them, to pray over them and to set them into this place, uh, this ministry that God has for them here at the Hamilton Mill campus. And so I don't want us just to watch, I want us to participate. So if you're watching online, you can participate by just stretching your hand. Your, your prayers will make it through the airwaves. And um, I want us just to stretch our hands towards uh, Pastors Chad and Lori, and let's pray over them and ask the Lord as he sets them in place in this new role that they have. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for Chad and Lori. Father, I thank you for the gift and calling that's on their life. Lord, I thank you, God, that it's not placed by man, nor will it be kept by man. But, Lord, it is placed by you. And your word says that your gifts and your calling are without repentance. So, Lord, I thank you for the gift and calling on them. And, Lord, we agree with what you are saying. And, Father, today we've set them in place into this new role, this new calling that they are walking in as pastors Lord, we pray for your anointing to be released in their heart and in their lives, God. Father, that as they step out to lead uh, people through prayer, through preaching, through uh, any type of leadership, Lord, that your anointing would be strong upon them, Father. For it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray for the full release 
of your spirit in their life, Lord. I pray for the gifts of the spirit to flow freely through them. I pray, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow freely through them. I pray for the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to flow freely through them. Father, we bless them today, and today we set them into this position. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. It is special to be able to do that, and it's special for us as a congregation to be able to receive that um, calling. He, he uh, uh, Chad, and Lori are going to have a zit on their forehead because we've anointed them three times today, and, you know, it's just one of those things. But it's a sign of calling, right? And so anyway, all right, let's take our Bibles today. Let's open them up to two passages of Scripture. Let's open it up to Matthew chapter 18. Put your little stringy there, there, stringy thing there, and then flip over to First uh, Peter chapter two. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today in these two passages of scripture. And so I want us to uh, open our Bibles. How many of you brought your Bibles today? All right, y'all are better than the eleven o'clock service. Come on, it's not a competition, but it kind of is. That's the way I see the world, right? Uh, but yes, and so we'll open up there and. We, uh, for the past month, have been focusing on uh, the message Emancipating Greatness, where we talked about we have all been created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and that we are, when we receive Him, we are now image bearers of the one we have been created in the image of. And so we have been talking about the emancipation of that greatness. This isn't so we can be great, we can be famous, and everybody can think we're cool and great and all that kind of thing. No, this is allowing the gift of God to flow through us as his children, as his creation, as the ones created in his image to bring glory all through the earth through us. And um, that is what the emancipating greatness is really all about. It's about God's glory flourishing in our lives. Amen? Uh, but one of the things that we've done as a pastoral staff is we've really started seeking the Lord to say, God, is there anything that we need to talk about, pray about, preach about, teach about, walk our congregation through that would hinder them from walking in this fullness of greatness that you have for us? And we felt very clearly the Lord speak to us about an area that we all have to face. It's actually a central part of the gospel, and it is the area of forgiveness. Both to receive the forgiveness of God, but also, because we've received it, offer it to others. And so we know that if we, can get, if we get trapped in moments of unforgiveness, it's like quicksand to us. That's why we've called this series Quicksand. It locks us down, and it keeps us from being able to move forward uh, in the things that God has for us. So... Uh, we are going to touch on this today, and the, the topic of this message is called debt-free living. God wants us to live debt-free. And so one of the first things that we have to do when we are addressing this issue of forgiveness is to validate wrong that has been done against us. It's to validate wrong that has been done against us. In other words, this is what I would say. Sin is sin, and hurt is hurt. Sin is sin and hurt is hurt. And we have all experienced this in some form or fashion. But here's what I want you to know. Right from the very get-go as we start talking about this area of forgiveness is this. That God did not come to shame us for feeling hurt. He didn't come to shame us for the pain that we have encountered through different interactions with other people. 
but he came to heal us from those hurts. And one of the things that he heals us, one of the ways he heals us is by when we offer forgiveness, it puts us in a position to receive all that he has for us. And so, but here's the thing that we have to recognize. We have all been wronged. We have all been wronged. Every single person in this place has been wronged in some form or fashion. Some of us, and statistics tell us that many of us with a number of people in this room have faced some sort of abuse. Sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse. And so I wanna say for those who have experienced that, first of all, I'm sorry. And that's a real pain and that's a real hurt. Some of us in this room have faced betrayal. Some of us have faced betrayal at the deepest levels in our lives. Some of us have faced uh, racial injustices. Some of us have faced neglect or rejection or we've been overlooked or our innocence has been lost or we have been abandoned. Here's what God wants you to know. Sin is sin and hurt is hurt and God does not expect you to pretend as though those things did not happen. He doesn't want us to pretend like it never happened. He doesn't want us to dismiss those things in our life. He wants to remove the obstacle and the burden of our wounds and our pains by bringing healing to those areas. So God doesn't invalidate like people do. People have, an, have, a, time, have a tendency to invalidate pain and the way we, we experience pain. But if you remember back to Isaiah chapter 53, it's a messianic prophecy about Jesus. And it says Jesus, uh, he, that he is acquainted with our sorrows. He is acquainted with our sorrows. He knows them. So here's what, you know, here's what we all know about Jesus, that Jesus was abused. That Jesus faced racial injustice. That Jesus was abandoned. That Jesus was despised. That Jesus was rejected. That Jesus was falsely accused. That Jesus was misrepresented. That Jesus faced the same kind of hurt and pain that you and I face day to day. Jesus faced him. Hebrews tells us that we do not serve a high priest who is not acquainted with what we go through. He has felt our sorrows. So when we come to Jesus, we understand that Jesus did not come to invalidate our pain, but to validate it. And invalidating it, it starts the healing process for our hearts. Here's what a lot of people will say. Stop crying. I'll give you something to really cry about. Ever heard that statement before? All the parents in here go, <laughs> I might have said that. We hear this story all the time for those who were, who were raised in, in, in athletics. We don't cry in baseball. We don't cry in football. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. I don't know, but I saw a bunch of guys crying last, uh, two Sundays ago or last Sunday. They were big fellas too. Sometimes we hear this, just get over it. Just let it go, get over it. When we say things like, stop your crying or I'm gonna give you something to cry about, what we are ministering to the person is shame. We're telling them they have shame 
for their hurt. When we tell somebody to just get over it, we're telling them to repress your pain or deny your pain. Repress it or deny it. Or if we say to somebody, that's no big deal. That, some other people have had it worse than you, so you shouldn't feel pain or suffering from that. That's no big deal. What we're doing is we're minimizing other people's pain or we're dismissing it. Or maybe even we have had people say to us at times, that didn't hurt and that shouldn't have hurt. I don't know why you feel such pain about that. I don't know why you're struggling with that because that shouldn't have hurt. That didn't hurt. What that's doing is totally dismissing and invalidating our pain. And Jesus, when he's talking about forgiveness, he's not talking about invalidating pain. Jesus came, comes and he validates our pain. The pain is real. The pain is something that we have to deal with. I remember, uh, this is kind of a light story, but uh, Sherry, in her playful way, uh, she would poke me in my belly button. And I would tell her, hey, that hurts. And she'd go, oh, that doesn't hurt. And I'm like, no, that hurts. She goes, belly buttons don't hurt. Boop, boop, boop. And she would just play, and she's wrestling and just goofing around, and she's being playful. But what I'm telling her is, that hurts. And she's saying, it doesn't hurt. Belly buttons don't have nerves. And I'm like, mine does. <laughs> the rest of them may not, but this one does. And when you stick your finger in there and push, it hurts. For years, this was a thing for us. This was a thing. And then one day, I'm just like, I think she's right. This probably shouldn't hurt. And then I noticed uh, that my belly button, which is an innie, started looking like it was starting to want to be an Audi. She would want to pick the lint out of my belly button. I'm like, leave me alone. I like my lint. It is my friend. And it doesn't hurt me right there. You hurt me. So I actually thought, I'm going to ask a doctor friend of mine. So one day I went up to this guy. His name is Yomi. And I went up to Yomi and I said, hey, Yomi, uh, my belly button is starting to stick out a little bit. He goes, well, well let me see it. And so he looked at it, and he goes, oh, yeah, you have a navel hernia. And I'm like, yes! I knew I had something wrong. I knew when she poked me that something was real because that pain was real. Even though she was saying it shouldn't hurt, it doesn't hurt, I'm going, yes, it hurts. And Yomi goes, all you got to do is push it back in. I'm like, oh! You can bet. The first 30 seconds when I walked through that door, when I got home, I said, hey, listen, you tell me my belly button shouldn't hurt when you put, my, put your finger in it, but it hurts, and you want to know why? Because I have a hernia there. You probably caused it. <laughs> so stop poking me in my belly button. But don't we do that? Don't we do that to other people go, that doesn't hurt. That shouldn't hurt. While this is a funny story, there are things that many of you have faced that people have dismissed or shamed you or minimized. Here's what I want you to know. God didn't come to minimize your pain. He comes to say this pain is real. 
this hurt is real. And I want you to be healed and freed from being stuck so that you can thrive. That's the heart of God. But here's something that we have to realize as it relates to pain. How we view pain will determine if we will face it or try to minimize it or dismiss it. The pain of rejection, the pain of abuse, the pain of being uh, accused of something, the pain of being misrepresented, the pain of rejection, the pain of losing something in your life is not because you have a lack of faith or you have sin in your life. And I want you to understand that. That's important for you to understand. Because I want you to think about this. Jesus learned obedience through what? Y'all know. The things he suffered. Jesus was without sin. And he suffered. So in our minds, we've got to understand that pain and suffering do not equate a lack of faith or sin in our life. Pain is a, is a symptom of the fall of man. And God came to pay for that pain. And he wants to validate the pain that we feel, but he doesn't want to validate it so we can just be justified in it, like I felt with Sherry Wood poking me in the belly button. He wants to deal with that pain and heal it. He wants to set us free from that pain. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, And put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We have to forgive. So why does God want us to forgive? Because God wants us to live debt-free. He wants us to live in a way where we hold no debts. No one is indebted to us for anything. When Sherry would poke me in the belly button, I would think she was indebted to me to rub my back. You hurt my belly button? Rub my back. Takes the pain away. It really does. But... When, when something has happened to us, there's been rejection, there's been betrayal, there's been abuse, there's, been, there's a feeling, a sense of, now I am owed. We feel like we are owed something. So forgiveness is necessary because there's a sense of debt that we feel that, that, that people are indebted to us. And something needs to be settled between us and that person. But to flourish, we have to become debt-free. We have to be people who don't hold debts. Just as we can't flourish with financially with debt hanging around our neck or with un, or debt that we're unable to collect on if somebody owes us something, we cannot emancipate greatness until we become committed to being debt-free. What does that mean? That means living a life of forgiveness. We have to live our lives a life of forgiveness. And here's what I want us to understand. Colossians 2 says it this way. Colossians 2 verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, our trespasses 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, when we, there's a debt to be paid, there's a, there's a judicial payment that needs to be made. And Jesus made that judicial payment. He paid for all of our trespasses and all of our sins. He paid for mine. He paid for yours. He paid for yours against me. And he paid for mine against you. He paid for them all. He paid for every single one of them. So when we talk about forgiveness, I want you to hear the heart of God as it relates to forgiveness. I want you to hear the heart of God. His heart towards us is gentle and not rebuking, as he, as he says, forgive. His command to forgive is merciful, not demanding, because he knows it is the path to healing, wholeness, and freedom. The reason God wants us to forgive is not to just let bygones be bygones. He wants us to forgive so that we can have healing, wholeness, and freedom in every area of our life. That's the heart of God, as he's saying, just as God has forgiven, so, much, so should we. We have to forgive. So today, in the next few weeks, God is throwing out this life preserver into our lives. Because many of us have been trapped in areas of unforgiveness in our life. And it's like this life preserver is being thrown to us and we're trapped in quicksand. And the harder we try to make things right for what the wrongs that were done to us, the more stuck we get. And he's saying, I want to unstick you. The way I'm going to unstick you is through this thing called forgiveness. There's this side of health and wholeness over here. And there's this side of unforgiveness and brokenness here. And the thing, the, the difference between the hurt and the wholeness, the thing that bridges those two, the canyon between them is called Forgiveness Forgiveness is the bridge between hurt and wholeness. And God wants to build that bridge in our heart, and he wants to build that bridge in our life. So what, as we talk about forgiveness, we, talk, we can talk about what it is, but before we do, I want to talk about what it's not. Because we can have some very messed up views of what forgiveness is. And the first one is, it's not letting somebody off the hook. Sometimes we feel like, well, if I forgive that, am I just letting them off the hook? They're not going to have any, any consequence or any, any, you know, something happened to them for what they've done to me? Am I letting them off the hook? No, you're not letting them off the hook. You're taking them off of your hook and you're putting them on God's hook. They're not off the hook. The myth of, another myth of forgiveness is that we deny the hurt. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And what we choose is, I'm going to choose to release somebody from their payments towards me to make this right. And I'm going to receive what God has for me. It's not the denial of hurt. It's actually the recognition of hurt. We have to recognize the hurt that has been done towards us so that we can forgive it and receive healing for it. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We've heard oftentimes that if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. I was growing up, we had, I had some friends, and they would say that all the time. Up, oh, up, oh, up, oh, I thought you forgave that. They're the forgiveness police. I thought you forgave that. I did forgive that, but you still remember. If you remember it, you still haven't forgotten it. I mean, you haven't forgiven it. 
If you haven't forgotten it, you haven't forgiven it. No, we have to fully remember in order to fully forgive. Because if we just deny and put it aside and go, I just want to forget it. It just goes off to the side. We haven't forgiven. We've just pushed our pain off to the side. But when we literally remember it, we can literally forgive it. So forgive, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one. It may be that their, your relationship with the person who has violated you in such a way has changed. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. That may mean that you're wise in your relationship. So it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them because the relationship changed. It's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is reconciliation. Forgiveness is a different thing. Forgiveness, another myth of forgiveness is that it's one and done. That if I, if I forgive, it's a one-time experience. It depends on how deep the, the pain is. It depends on how deep the chasm is. Because I don't know about you, but I've been hurt in some ways where I needed to forgive on a daily basis for a while. And sometimes I didn't just forgive on a daily basis. Sometimes I forgive multiple times within the day. Some days it's easier than others. Now, what I'm saying is not easy. I'm telling you, forgiveness is not for the weak. Forgiveness is for the strong. And a lot of people who aren't Christians, they go, oh, you Christians, y'all are just weak. Y'all forgive and y'all just push this stuff aside and let it go. No, 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 no. Denial is for the weak. Forgiveness is for the strong. Forgiveness requires incredible humility. Requires incredible submission. And requires incredible strength of the Holy Spirit to, to empower us to do it. Forgiveness is not for the weak, it's for the strong. It's not a one-time thing. I may say one day I forgive... The next day I'm okay, and the next day I have to forgive every hour on the hour because it's so real to me in that day. Then maybe two days later I have to forgive every 30 minutes on, it, on the 30-minute block because it's so real to me that day. And maybe I'm forgiven and it's pushed and dealt with and God's dealt with it and I feel like I'm good and then all of a sudden something triggers something inside of me and this thing comes bubbling up and the enemy wants to come and say, you didn't forgive. See, you didn't forgive. See, you still feel pain about that. You didn't forgive. No. The pain, another level of pain, another layer of pain bubbled up. And it didn't bubble up to condemn me. It bubbled up because God says, I want to heal that. I want to touch that. I want to set you free from that. You see, one of the things that God is so gracious to us about, he's so gracious to us to not let us feel everything at one time. Because sometimes if you've been abused, or you've been betrayed, or you've been abandoned, to feel all of that in one moment will overtake us and overwhelm us. It would overwhelm you to the point you wouldn't know how to function. God, by His grace, puts salve on our pain 
And he peels it back one layer at a time. Sometimes he may be able to pull back more than one layer. But he does it because he's gracious to us. He doesn't want to overwhelm us any more than we already are. He wants to heal us at every level of our pain. God is very gracious to us. So what is forgiveness then? Those are just a few things that forgiveness is not. There's some of the common beliefs about forgiveness, un- misbeliefs and misconceptions. But what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is this. I stop requiring payment of a debt that is owed to release someone from paying back their wrong. When I forgive, I am releasing the requirement from that person to pay for their wrong, to pay the penalty for their wrong. Here's the thing. If somebody comes to me and they have wronged me deeply and they say, will you forgive me? I may say yes, but that act alone doesn't fix it all for me. Because now I've got to deal with the effects of their wrong towards me. And when I have to deal with those effects, that's where healing comes into play. But what I'm saying is, when I say, yes, I forgive you, what I'm saying is, you don't owe me. Now, how can we do that? How is it that we can literally say to somebody, especially if it's a deep, deep wound, if it is a deep betrayal, if it's a deep abandonment, if it is deeply rooted in us, this abuse that took place in our life, and we're going, I'm just going to say, I release you from all payment? Yes. And I don't know about you, but I find that difficult sometimes. You ever find that difficult? Especially if the wrong is big in my life, I'm like, I want them to pay. And I don't only want them to pay, I want them to pay like I want them to pay. But the way we forgive and the way we can say, I release you from this debt is when we understand that they can't pay the debt. They can't make it right. They can repent, they can ask for forgiveness, but they can't fix it in your life. When we understand the wrong, the infraction that was done against us is wrong, it's painful, it's sinned against us, the way we can release it is understand where payment has been made. Where does payment for it get made? 1 Peter chapter 2. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start at verse 21. We're going to see where, where this debt gets paid. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin. Remember before? He didn't suffer because of sin. Nor was his deceit, was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled. The word reviled literally means abused. When he was reviled or abused. He did not revile or abuse in return. Abuse in return. When he suffered he did not threaten. 
but committed himself to, the, to him who judges righteously. Jesus committed himself to the Father, to the one who judges righteously, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Here's what's important to know. There is a violation. When violation happens, there's the wrong that happened, the thing that happened, what was done to you, and then the damage from the wrong, how it affected you. And what we see here is payment is made for all of our, our trespasses and our sins by Jesus himself. The one who bore all of this brokenness in this world, brokenness in our lives, he took on all of the trespasses and sins of all humanity and he nailed it to the cross and he made the final payment once and for all for all the, trespass all the trespasses and sins. That means he nailed our trespasses and sins to the cross, made full payment for them, and he nailed the person that offended us, their trespasses and sins, to the cross. So the same act where we receive forgiveness, Jesus paid the penalty for the ones who would sin against us. Now that's the thing, like, oh. Help me process that. I need, I need help processing that. You mean the person that abused me, Jesus forgave them of that sin. He did forgive them, and he paid the penalty for that sin. He paid it. So we can literally stand before one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we can say, I release you for the payments you don't owe me because this payment has already been made. And now what do I do? I commit myself to the one who judges righteously. I say, God, I can come to you and I know you understand and you feel you are acquainted with my sorrow. I trust you to deal righteously. I trust you. And by the stripes that were born on Jesus' back, we were healed. So he paid the penalty for the wrong that was done against us and the wrongs we have done against others. Jesus paid fully for it. And he says, and I will provide healing to your heart for the effects of it. So when we forgive Someone, we're saying, I accept the payment that you made, Jesus, for the penalty for the sins that were done against me. I accept that payment as full payment for the sins that were done against me. And now I release these people, the person that hurt me, I release the debts against them. I will not demand or require them to pay those debts. Why? Because Jesus, you paid it. 
That's a horse pill to swallow. You know what a horse pill is? It's a big one. Sometimes we swallow it and we have to rub our throat and go, oh, go on down. Mm, go down. Why? Because deep down inside, we want justice enacted in their life. Have you ever been in need of forgiveness? Have you ever been the one that violated so deeply that you know you could never make it right? And all you could do is say, I'm sorry for the wrong that I did. Knowing that when you say it, it's not enough. But it's all you have. Anybody ever been there? That's a place where we step back and we say, Jesus, thank you for paying for the penalty of my sin. Because you've paid the penalty of my sin, I now can release others who have sinned against me as well. Jesus came to bring healing for the damage. He wants to restore the damage that was done in our lives so that we can be free, unstuck, and hold no debts and be debt free. Nothing can really pay for the debt except for the work of Jesus on the cross. Nothing. Things can help, they can motivate us to continue to pursue God, but it's when we forgive, what we're saying is, God, I accept the payment that you made for the penalties of those who have sinned against me. And when we do, here's what happens. It empowers us to release the damage, the demand for payment and receive full healing. Gives us the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to release it and now, Lord, I can position my heart to be put back together and to receive your healing. When we forgive, three things happen. We accept Jesus' payment for the sins committed against us. We commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously and we receive his healing and wholeness. It is through extending his forgiveness to others that we are healed and we are freed. This is why God wants us to live debt free. This is why God wants us to live in a way where we hold no debts. Why? Because he wants us to be free. And, and, and denying the wrongs is not letting people, it's not releasing the debt. Releasing the debt is when we acknowledge it, we talk about what it's done to us, and we receive his work to heal that. You see all this money up here? It's look like $100 bills. They look real. If you find a $100 bill on the floor, I promise you it's not real. So don't take it and try to spend it. But it's just an illustration. It's an illustration for us to see something. When we look at forgiveness, we have to look at the heart of the king and the kingdom's way of forgiving. We see this in Matthew chapter 18. So turn over to Matthew chapter 18. We'll start with verse 21 in just a moment. Or uh, verse, yeah, 22 in just a moment. 
But we see Peter coming to Jesus. And he's asking a question. How many times must I forgive? How many times must I forgive Jesus? Seven times? Seven times? Now here's why that number was interesting. Because that is a generous number that Peter is throwing out there. Because in the day they would forgive three. Peter's going, okay, I'm going to be generous. Jesus, are you saying seven times? That's double what other people forgive. Seven times, and here was Jesus' response to him. He said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Here's the thing about 10,000 talents. That was the largest measurable uh, thing in the day. And what 10,000 talents represented were 200,000 years of salary. 200,000 years of salary. And he's saying this person that came to him owed him a, a debt that he would never, ever be able to pay. And he knew it. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, his children, and all, they, all that they had. And that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. He released him and forgave him the insurmountable debt. And when that servant left, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his, so his fellow servant fell, before, fell at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And when he would not, but, went, uh, but he would not, and went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had been done, they went, uh, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all, all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him into, uh, to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother and his trespasses. Here's the story. This is a parable that Jesus is sharing with Peter. He's basically saying... 200,000 years of salary is what he owed. 200,000 years. There is no way. It's an insurmountable debt. He will never be able to pay it no matter how much he says, I will pay it all. Jesus is saying, you can't. And because I have mercy on you, because I have grace on you, because you have fallen at my feet and begged me, I will forgive it. And then he finds a friend, a servant, 
another servant, one of his own. And he says, hey, you owe me three months. Pay. Pay me now. And though he fell and begged just like he had done, he would not forgive. Now here's what's not happening. Jesus is not standing over our life going, if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. If you don't forgive, just, just forget it. God's not going to forgive. What he's saying is, the servant missed the heart of the king. And he's saying, basically, if you want to live by the law, then we'll live by the law. But if you want to receive grace, receive forgiveness for things that you could never make right, it's an insurmountable trespass against someone. I want you to have the heart of the king. So when those who have come to trespass against you, you will express the same heart the king has had towards you. It's the way of the kingdom. It's forgiveness. You have been forgiven. Forgive. What he's not saying is, let him off the hook. What he's not saying is, if you never forget about this, you haven't forgiven. What he's saying is, I've paid for it all. And here's the question. Is his payment enough for you to say, I forgive? That's the question. And while sometimes it's hard to say, yes, that's enough, I trust you, Jesus. I extend to people who have wronged me the same grace that's been extended to me. But Lord, my heart is broken. What do I do with that? He says, you bring that to me. He says, you bring that to me. And I'll take every single one of those fragmented pieces of your heart. And I will put it back together one by one. And I will put your heart back together. I will heal you. That doesn't mean we're not going to get angry when somebody does something against us. It doesn't mean that we're not even going to feel anger when we think back on what has been done to us. But every time we feel those things, remember that's a secondary emotion. Let's explore it. Let's identify that was wrong. When that person did this, it was wrong angry about that that hurt me let's acknowledge its effect on us that has 
really challenged my thinking. When I face sexual abuse as a child, it makes me have issues with the opposite sex. That's acknowledging the truth. Because you know what? That was wrong against you. But then what we do is we come to God and we can come to him like this. I release that to you, Jesus. Because you paid for it. I release the judicial demand for this person's wrong to you. You paid that. I accept your payment. Then we hear these words of another messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61 where Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. He has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to give you beauty for ashes. He has anointed me to give you the oil of joy for mourning. He has anointed me. He has anointed me. And today, I touch you. And I start by making your heart whole again. Some of you thought, I can never do that. You can. And Jesus will meet you right in that place. It's vulnerable. It can sometimes be scary. But he wants to meet you there. He wants to heal your heart. But we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge its effect on us. We have to release it for God to deal with the justice side of it. And we have to receive the healing that Jesus provided for us. Forgiveness by no means is letting someone off the hook. Forgiveness is saying no payment. I trust the one who judges righteously and I receive the work of the stripes upon his back from my heart. Heal me, God. There's going to be a prayer up here. Pastor Jeremy and the team are going to come and they're going to lead a song. And I want you to ask this question. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anyone? Is there anything where I've held on forgiveness or I've, I've not forgiven that person not release that situation fully to you. Is there anything? And then when it comes, he doesn't come to shame us for it. He comes to set us free from it. He wants it to no longer have
power over us. So there's a simple prayer that you can, God, I repent for withholding forgiveness from whoever this person is. And today I make the decision to forgive them, whatever their name is and whatever the offense was. Father, when they did this to me, this is how it impacted me, this is how it felt. God, I no longer want to carry this wound. And today I make a choice to give you the pain and lay it at the feet of the cross. I hand whatever this person's name is, I hand them over to you and choose you to allow you to be my justice maker. Right now I receive the gift of joy, hope, peace, love that's found in you. Thank you for continually healing my heart in Jesus' name. Take a picture of it. If you don't need it today, you will need it sometime. Let's take these situations to God and allow Him to heal it. Would you just to sit in the presence of God? And I'm going to come back in just a moment and we're going to pray. And I'll release us today.